Section number 21 of Lay Down Your Arms. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Glenn Turner, Menifee, California. Lay Down Your Arms by Bertha von Suttner. Translated by Timothy Holmes. Chapter number 6, part 1. Marriage and Visit to Berlin Lydia Cornelia von Tessov and her son A Wedding Tour Life in Garrison at Olmutz Christmas at Vienna Rumors of War A New Year's Party Back at Olmutz War Imminent Outbreak of the Schleswig-Holstein War History of the Quarrel in September of this year, our marriage took place. My bridegroom had got two months' leave for the wedding tour. Our first stage was Berlin. I had expressed a wish to lay a wreath on the grave of Frederick's mother and begin our tour with that pilgrimage. We stopped eight days in the Prussian capital. Frederick introduced me to his relatives who were living there, and all seemed to me the most amiable people in the world and really everything we met was pleasant and beautiful, wearing as we did those rose-colored glasses through which one looks at the outside world during the honeymoon. Besides, the newly married pair were greeted on all sides with cheerful and kindly politeness. Everyone seemed to find it a duty to strew new roses on a path already so sunny. What pleased me particularly in North Germany was the dialect not only because it was marked by my husband's accent, one of his qualities which had excited my love at first, but also because, in comparison with the way of speaking used in Austria, it seemed to announce a higher level of education, or rather did not seem, but was really its result. Grammatical solecisms such as deform the common speech of the best circles in Vienna do not occur in good society at Berlin. The Prussian's substitution of the accusative for the dative, give mich einen Federhut, is confined to the lower classes, while in Vienna the ordinary confusions of cases such as on der, mit die Kinder, are heard commonly enough in the best drawing rooms. We may for all that call our way of speaking kindly, and get foreigners to take it as being so, but it shows some inferiority nevertheless. If one measures human worth by the scale of education, and what more correct standard can one have, then the North German is a little bit more of a man than the South German, an assertion that would sound very arrogant in the mouth of a Prussian, and may seem very unpatriotic from the pen of an Austrian authoress, but how seldom is there any outspoken truth which does not give offense somewhere or somehow. Our first visit in Berlin after the churchyard was to the sister of the deceased. From the amiability of the intellectual accomplishments of this lady, I could infer how amiable and accomplished his mother must have been if she was like Frau Cornelia V. Tussoff. The latter was the widow of a Prussian general, 
and had an only son who had just then become a lieutenant. I never met with a handsomer young man in my whole life than this Godfrey V. Tesov. It was touching to see the affection between mother and son. And in this also, Frau Cornelia seemed to have a resemblance to her deceased sister. When I saw the pride which she visibly had in Godfrey, and the tenderness with which he treated his mother, I was already delighting myself with imagining the time when my son, Rudolph, should be grown up. One thing only I could not understand, and this I expressed to my husband thus, How can a mother allow her only child, her treasure, to embrace so dangerous a profession as the army? My dear, there are simple reflections which no one ever makes, Frederick answered, considerations which lie so near one that no one ever heeds them. Such a reflection is the danger of the military profession. People do not allow themselves to take that into consideration. It is thought a kind of impropriety or cowardice to allow that to weigh with one. And so it is assumed as a matter of course and inevitable that such danger must be survived, and indeed is always nearly survived by good luck. The percentages of killed are distributed over other people. And so the chance of being killed is not thought of. To be sure it exists, but so it does for everyone born into the world. And yet no one thinks about death. The mind can do a great deal to chase away troublesome thoughts. And lastly, what more pleasant and more respected position can a Prussian nobleman occupy than that of a cavalry officer? Aunt Cornelia appeared also pleased with me. Ah, she sighed on one occasion, how I wish that my poor sister could have lived to feel the joy of having such a daughter-in-law and seeing her Frederick so happy as he is now with you. It was always her warmest wish to see him married, but he demanded so much for marriage that it did not seem likely he would fall in love with me, Auntie. That is what the English call fishing for a compliment. I only wish my Godfrey could get such a prize. I have been long impatient to know the joy of being a grandmother. But I shall have to wait long for that. My son is only twenty-one. He may turn young ladies' heads, I said, break many hearts. That would not be like him. A better, more straightforward young man does not exist. One day he will make a wife very happy, as Frederick makes his. You cannot tell that quite yet, my dear. We must talk about that ten years hence. In the first few weeks, almost everyone is happy. Not that I express any doubt of my nephew or of you. I believe quite that your happiness will be lasting. This prophecy of Aunt Cornelia I wrote down in my diary and wrote underneath it, Did it come true? The answer to be written ten years hence. And then I left a line blank. How I filled up that line in the year 1873, well, that must not be set down in this place as yet. After leaving Berlin, we went to the German watering places. If my short tour in Italy with Arno were left out of account, and of this I had besides only a dreamy recollection, I had never been away from home. To make acquaintance in this way with new places, new people, new ways of life, 
put me into a most elevated state of mind. The world appeared to me to have become all at once so beautiful and thrice as interesting. If it had not been for my little Rudolph that I had left behind, I should have pressed Frederick. Let us travel about like this for years. We will visit the whole of Europe and then the other quarters of the globe. Let us enjoy this wandering life, this unfettered roving to and fro. Let us collect the treasures of new impressions and experiences everywhere that we come to. However strange may be the people or the country, we shall be sure in virtue of our companionship to bring a sufficient portion of home along with us. What would Frederick have answered to such a proposition? Probably that a man cannot make it his business to spend his life in a wedding tour, that his leave only lasted for two months, and many more such reasonable matters. We visited Baden-Baden, Hamburg, and Wiesbaden, everywhere the same cheerful, elegant way of living, everywhere so many interesting people from all the chief countries of the world. It was in intercourse with these foreigners that I first became aware that Frederick was a perfect master of the French and English languages, a thing which made him rise to a still higher place in my admiration. I was always discovering new qualities in him, gentleness, liveliness, the most quick feeling for everything beautiful. A voyage on the Rhine threw him into raptures, and in the theater or concert room, when the artist performed anything peculiarly excellent, his enjoyment shone out in his eyes. This made the Rhine and his castle seem to me doubly romantic. This redoubled my admiration of the performances of celebrated musicians. These two months passed over only too swiftly. Frederick applied for an extension of his leave, but it was decided against him. It was my first unpleasant moment since my marriage when this official paper arrived, which in curt style ordered our return home. And men call that freedom, I cried, throwing the offendum document down on the table. Tilling smiled. Oh, I never looked on myself as free in the least, my mistress, he replied. If I were your mistress, I could find it in my heart to command you to bid adieu to military service and live only to serve me in the future. On this question we had agreed. Yes, I know. I'm obliged to submit. But that proves that you are not my slave. And at bottom, I feel that that is right, my dear proud husband. End of section 21